couple of longer readings to get you warmed up for a long homily. Of course, this is the great solemnity of Christ the King, Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. It's the last Sunday of the liturgical year. It's a very special Sunday for us. So we bring out all the bells and whistles, the gold vestments, the incense, torches, all to honor the fact that Jesus Christ is King of the universe. What I'd like to do is to propose that Christianity is actually quite simple, but we tend to misunderstand it. You've heard me talk about the four-part gospel, created, captured, rescued, response. One simple way of knowing the gospel, knowing the Christian story. Today I'm going to focus on a two-part gospel, even simpler. Christ is King, which means that everything is under His sovereignty. And the devil is the prince of this world. Christ is king of the universe, and the devil is prince of this world. And Christ has allowed that. Christ the king has allowed the devil to be the prince of this world. Why? In short, to detach us from the world. I'll get back to that. But that's two parts. Christ is king, and the devil is prince. But of course, because of the fall, our concupiscence, our proclivity to sin our inclination towards things that are less than God, our darkened intellect, we then misunderstand misunderstand this simple truth of Christianity. And our misunderstandings can actually compromise our salvation. Not because if we don't understand everything perfectly, God's going to punish us. No, but because we act out of the way that we understand things. We see things a certain way, and then we act accordingly, and then we get certain results. You can remember that in a simple way. See, do, get. We see things, we do things accordingly, we get things accordingly. And what we get then feeds what we see, which then feeds what we do, which then feeds what we get, repeat. So if we get that, if we see things properly, then things will flow properly. If not, then they won't. So I'll give here two misunderstandings, two ways that we misunderstand Christianity. And of course, there are many, many ways that Christianity can be misunderstood out there in the world. I'm just going to focus on two ways within the church that Christianity is misunderstood. The first is a defensive Catholicism. That sees the world and life in general something like this. The world is a wretched place. Life is miserable. There is no joy to be had here. I must bear my cross until I die. And then, hopefully, maybe in heaven, I will enjoy God. Well, if that's how I see things, naturally, I'm going to close myself off. I'm going to circle the wagons. You know the expression, you get people that agree with us. And we get them together and we put our valuables in the center and then we circle our wagons around it to protect the center. We'll use others. Who is on board with my mission, my agenda? How can I manipulate those who aren't to get on board? We'll judge others. We'll accuse them of being wrong. Not being right as we are. We'll cut them off. This all flows from this defensive Catholicism. Now, as a small caveat here, there is a place for proper boundaries. 
If somebody is continuously abusing me and I've tried an intervention and that didn't work, then okay, I'm going to put up boundaries, certain distance. Not to hurt them, but actually to preserve the relationship. But that caveat aside, what I'm talking about here is a defensive posture altogether. Everyone out, everyone is out to give me. Well, if this is how I live, what will I get? For one thing, not many friends, but also what will I get internally? Bitterness, resentment, pride. More and more impurities that will have to be purified in purgatory. We talked about this this month. Those who die in God's grace and friendship and are perfectly purified go to heaven. That's our goal. Those who die in God's grace and friendship but not yet perfectly purified go to purgatory. That's not our goal. So we don't want to pile on more impurities that will then have to be purified. Okay, what about... That's an error over here, defensive Catholicism. But then there's this other error on the other side. Something like offensive Catholicism. A Catholicism that goes on the offense. That starts with something like this. God wants to save the world, and He wants me to help Him to save the world. So I have to go out and fix other people's problems. I have to go out and fix the culture. I have to go out and fix the economy. I have to go out and fix the church. Because God wants me to do that. It's God's mission for me to help Him to do that. Go make a difference. That slogan has its place here. And notice that this isn't a partisan critique. We can do, one can be living this offensive Catholicism while leaning to the left to be more progressive. Or one can lean to the right and be more traditional, more conservative, and be on this offense. I have to go fix the problems out there in the direction that I see fit. So now life is a series of problems for me to solve. Problems in my community, in my country, in my church. I have to go and do this. Okay, if that's how I see things, then naturally I'm, I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to spin the wheels faster and faster. I'm going to realize that it's not working. My efforts aren't working because clearly the world's falling apart. So whatever I've been trying to do isn't working. So maybe I need to work harder or more creatively, or get more people on board to help me. And as I do this, what will I be doing in in the process simultaneously? I will first of all be neglecting the most important thing, which is my prayer life, my relationship with God. I will also be neglecting my duties and my responsibilities in the name of doing God's will. Well, surely I'm supposed to do, go to work and do things really well at work and focus at my job. But God wants me to focus on this other thing that's happening in the world. Well, surely I'm supposed to take care of my kids and I'm supposed to be good to my husband and to my wife. I'm supposed to be kind to them, patient with them, uproot my vices so that I can love them. Surely I have to be good to my pastor. Now that's hard. Just kidding. Just kidding. We have a great pastor. 
Surely I have to carry out my duties and responsibilities. But God wants me me to do something else, to fix some problem out there. Then I'll be using others, manipulating others, trying to get them on board with me. Okay, what do I get? Even if I succeed in the short term, that that will give me some pride. Look how good I am. Look how good I am at fixing the problems. But even that's not going to last, the solutions. Even if this problem gets solved, that's going to create 10 more problems. So then what's going to happen? Pride, or excuse me, bitterness, discouragement, resentment. More impurities to be purified in purgatory. This also, if that weren't bad enough, this also often leads folks to leave the church. I've seen that in my short time, in my 10 years as a practicing Catholic, being involved in a number of parishes. Folks, either being too far, being, being in this offensive posture, whether to the right or to the left, leaving the church, which makes sense. The discouragement is too heavy to bear. Perhaps there are other solutions out there, other churches, other denominations, other religions. Or it leads them to go into defensive Catholicism. Okay, the the thing to do is to go on the offense, but going on the offense isn't working. So let's get everybody together. Let's get our small group together. Let's circle the wagons. Let's play defense. And that's how we're going to change the culture and change the world. Either way, offensive or defensive. Okay, so those are misunderstandings, I'm saying. What then is the right understanding What is the path of Jesus and the saints? I've already been going for too long. We'll stop here. We'll pick it up next time. Just kidding. kidding. There's a long homily. It's early in the morning. I have to keep you awake. Okay, I'm going to start by reading some things. I'm going to try to paint a picture of the right understanding. So bear with me. First is from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1. God, infinitely perfect and blessed in himself and a plan of sheer goodness, freely created you to make you share in his own blessed life. For this reason, at at every time and in every place, God draws close to you. He calls you to seek him, to know him, to love him with all your strength. Notice it doesn't say he calls you to go save the world. He calls you to seek him to know Him, to love Him with all your strength. He calls together all of us, scattered and divided by sin, into the unity of His family, the Church. To accomplish this, when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come in the present, in the past, God sent His Son as Redeemer and Savior of the world. In His Son and through Him, He invites us to become, in the Holy Spirit, co-workers to save the world. No. To become in the Holy Spirit his adopted children and thus heirs of his blessed life. If you don't like the catechism, here's first principle and foundation of St. Ignatius of Loyola. You are created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save your soul. The other things on the face of the earth are created for you to help you in attaining the end for which you are created. What is the end? To save the world? No. 
to praise, reverence, and serve God, and by this means to save your soul. Hence, you are to make use of them in as far as they help you in the attainment of your end, and you must rid yourself of them in as far as they prove a hindrance to you. Therefore, we must make ourselves indifferent to all created things, as far as we are allowed free choice and are not under any prohibition. Do you hear that? Indifferent to all created things. The liturgy is a created thing. We have it pretty good right now, but in five years, in ten years, there's going to be a different pastor. Maybe the liturgy will go away, or a different version, whatever. We're going to be bitter, resentful, or are we going to be indifferent to all created things? The Pope, created thing. The President, created thing. Consequently, as far as we are concerned, we should not prefer health or sickness, riches to poverty, honor to dishonor, a long life to a short life. The same holds for all other things. Our one desire and choice should be what is more conducive to the end for which we are created, to praise, reverence, and serve God, and to save our souls. If you don't like St. Ignatius, he is St. Alphonsus Liguori, doctor of the church. In short, so great is God's love for you that he seems to love no one but you. And therefore, you should love no one but him. Remember that he permits everything for your good and do not lose confidence. Or a re- recent author, uh, Carmelite Father Wilfred Stinnison. Stinnison died 10 years ago. One of my favorites. If you want to read a good spiritual book, read this. Into your hands, Father. How can you know that you are living in God's will? Living the right understanding, I'll say. This is the sign. If you are troubled about anything, that means you are not completely abandoned to God's will. The one who lives according to God's will is not troubled about anything. If he needs something, he surrenders it and even himself to the Lord. He places it in his hands. If he does not get what he needs, he remains calm, as though he had received it. He is not afraid, whatever happens, for he knows that it is God's will. When he is afflicted with illness, he thinks, I must have needed this illness, otherwise God would not have sent it. Why would God send it? To detach us from the world. Some things from Jesus. The, thing, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief, these two misunderstandings are thieves. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. That's the right understanding. I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer, go out and fix the world, and then you will have good cheer. No. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have, past tense, perfect tense, I think, overcome the world. I have overcome the world. This work has already been done. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Is the world falling apart? Yes. Is my family falling apart? Yes. 
These are our crosses. Are we going to be bitter? Discouraged? Or are we going to pick them up and follow Christ? If anyone who comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life. Remember St. Ignatius? Be completely indifferent. Not prefer health to sickness, riches to poverty, honor, dishonor, long life to short life. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Looks back to the world, to Sodom, burning in flames. I will pasture my sheep. I myself will pasture, and this is from our readings today. I myself will pasture my sheep. We are his sheep. I myself will give them rest, says the Lord God. He wants to do this to us. The lost I will seek out. We are the lost. He's coming to seek us. The strayed I will bring back. The injured I will bind up. The sick I will heal. He wants to do that for us. But the sleek and the strong, whether strong in its offense or in its defense, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. Through the prophet Ezekiel, he said. Or in the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He refreshes my soul. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Am I envious at what other people have? I'm not looking at the Lord. I'm not trusting in his providence. Only goodness and kindness follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for years to come. Do I let myself be shepherded by the shepherd, to be fathered by the father? Or do I think I have to be the shepherd of my life? And the last thing here I'll read from Origen, early Christian theologian, mystic. The kingdom of God, in the words of our Lord and Savior, does not come for all to see, nor shall they say, behold, here it is, or behold, there it is. But the kingdom of God is within us. For the word of God is very near in our mouth and in our heart. Thus it is clear that he who prays for the coming of God's kingdom prays rightly to have it within himself, that there it may grow and bear fruit and become perfect. For God reigns in each of his holy ones. Anyone who is holy obeys the spiritual laws of God who dwells in him as in a well-ordered city. See, the world to be perfected is not the city out there. It's within us. The Father is present in the perfect soul, and with him Christ reigns. Christ the King. So Christ is King of the universe, yes. But is he King of our own hearts? And to some degree, we're all here at church, so to some degree, yes. But in what ways am I letting the devil, the prince of the world, be prince of segments of my heart? In what areas of my heart is Christ not yet king? What defenses am I clinging to that are preventing him 
from becoming king of that area? What plans of offense am I busying myself with that are preventing him from becoming king of that area? Preventing him from becoming king ever more perfectly here on earth. So the right see-do-get cycle of this right understanding is something like this. Christ is king of the universe. Everything is under his sovereignty. And he has allowed the devil to be prince of this world. Why? To detach us from the world. To remain focused on him. Not to be seduced by the lures of the world, including the temptation to try to save it. When we see it this way, what do we do? We spend more time in prayer, more time getting to know Him, seeking Him, falling in love with Him. We spend more time fulfilling our own duties and responsibilities. We spend more time feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the ill, visiting the imprisoned. And what do we get? We get a growing friendship with God, growing unity with God, growing purification and sanctification. We sin less as a fruit. We worry less. We live as sheep, not as goats. We become ever more ready for Christ's coming. Christ's coming here in the Eucharist. Christ's coming in our own individual deaths. And in the second coming, we begin living heaven on earth, Christ's kingship on earth, now, and yes, for all of eternity.